0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to part two of our International Poetry Weekend. My special guest is Catherine Bond. Catherine is a British poet based in England and the author of the poetry collection Bohemian Love. She has performed poetry in numerous places in the United Kingdom and the United States. Lovers in Paris. Her next poetry collection will be released later this year. Catherine, welcome to the program.
1: Hello, sir. It's wonderful to be here. Hi, Michael. Thank you for having me.
0: All right. I'm glad you're here with me. Let's begin this poetic journey. Catherine, what is poetry?
1: Okay, to me, I would define poetry as the echo of a lonely heart, and it's actually something I've printed into an actual poem in one of my books. Um, It's definitely, obviously, as we all know, a concise form of expression. There can be musicality in it, um, and sort of like this impactful brevity to it. Um, But for me personally, poetry has also become alchemy. Um, I see it as a way to capture you know, if joy is the light of the world, despair is its shadow. And I like to use poetry to kind of balance and showcase how love and sadness can and actually does live in harmony in the world because, you know, it's not all just positive and wonderful. Um, you know, life isn't always like that. Um, so mm-hmm. I would really try and it helps me to harmonize and process certain um, emotions and experiences I've had in my life. So it's this kind of balancing act. And yeah, it's for me, it's just a concise wonderful art form to quickly express what's on your mind and yeah I, I just I, I adore it
0: yeah, I can tell I can tell yeah. <laughs> the very first couple of words you said was it an echo of the heart did you say that
1: yes echo of yeah. a lonely heart
0: Of a lonely heart tell me more about that that was powerful
1: oh lonely. thank you well That's just how I feel. I mean, I guess I'm someone who has had to battle with a lot of loneliness. And um, so there's two sides of it. Obviously, obviously the isolation that I perhaps talk about and the loneliness that I literally talk about in my poems, um, as well as the sort of longing to hear certain things, um, which will be apparent when I read some of my poems. Because sometimes um, in the poems, there will be lines from certain characters. And they're things that I wish I could have heard and I wish were told to me. So I'm kind of fulfilling wishes with my poems, yeah.
0: You know, actually, I'm sitting here looking up the word alchemy, and the definition is, I needed to know, a seemingly magical process of transformation, creation, or combination. So as you think about alchemy, in terms of poetry, give me some more around that, because that's a fascinating way to look at it.
1: Okay, well, um, so yes, so for me, just personally, poetry has become my alchemy, because things that were perhaps perceived as a weakness or things that were really getting me down, for example, grief, sadness, depression, and despair. I could use that and harness it into my art, and that's why it became my alchemy. All this depression and sadness got transformed. It became art. It became printed words that are connecting with people all around the world. Um, so, yeah, that, that uh, you know, because it's always such an agonizing process for me to write and it can be very triggering as I am writing as well as reading it back or having to perform it at an event but I realize now it's become a pathway to connection with other people um, and yeah I'm creating bonds as I go along on this uh, path of being a poet.
0: Alright, alright please <laughs> share with me Catherine an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power.
1: Oh, gosh. Um, Yeah, I guess like sort of reading um, poems in high school, um, some of them were just, the scenes were just so vivid and they were, um, I guess I'm also a very visual person, so the words um, imprinted into my mind so deeply of what was happening. I, I could really see what was being mentioned. I could really feel what the poet was trying to convey. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess like, you know, going back to high school, um, things like Caroline Duffy, Simon Armitage, they were selected poets we had to read. Um, but actually, there was a bit of a crossover for me personally, um, mm-hmm. more like songwriters. So it was actually, I guess, when I was about 14 or 15 years old, it was probably John Mayer who really inspired me to write poetry. Because, you know, like back in the day, you'd have a CD, there's a special album art cover.
2: And all Mm -hmm. the lyrics
1: are typed on. And I would just devour all his lyrics in particular. I just thought they were so well composed and crafted. And they fitted in so beautifully um, with his music because he plays the guitar. You know, he does everything. Um, (laughs) And, yeah. And there was just like a mastery to it. Because, you know, there were other pop acts when I was growing up. And the lyrics didn't really mean a whole lot to me. But his were... Um, I felt like I was looking into his life. I could understand his perspective. I was feeling the same way he did, especially on this album called Room for Squares, you know, another coming of age album. And um, I would just like sort of read the lyrics and they were in to me, in my mind, kind of like similarish um poetry format. And um, I just loved this arc of storytelling that was um, so beautifully depicted and so concise. And um, you weren't, lacking anything it was like a, oh i understand what he's saying oh that i feel that too and you know it's not like oh it's so short oh what happens next it's, it's all there and i was so impressed by that artful minute it inspired me to write poems
0: all right so how does a poem begin for you with an idea a form or an image
1: Oh gosh, it's multiple things. I mean, it depends on the phase that I'm in. I mean, when I, I, I had my technically my first poetry book was the Quarter Life Crisis Poet, and I wasn't, you know, I was a lot younger, so I wasn't as mature. I couldn't really handle my emotions, so I was kind of skimming the surface. So I, I, I could write a lot easier. I could just sit. Oh, I'm going to process this memory. I'm going to write about this. And I would just start to finish, write it. And then um, this was around about 2016. And because I'd sort of grown up a bit, I'd, you know, I had breakups and disappointments and love, et cetera. And mm-hmm. I was confronted with my emotions, feelings, feeling unlovable, um, all, all sorts of things, heartbreak. And it, I, I was also battling depression. So as I was writing, it it was such an intense and agonizing process and because I couldn't quite confront my emotions. So I would actually have to do, it's it's going to sound a bit weird, but I would sometimes have to listen to sad songs to the point where it would make me cry. You know, I'd have like songs that remind you of certain someone from the past and I would literally Mm -hmm. have to sit myself down. I'd have my notepad, I'd have a pen and I would just have to list songs over and over again and just Get myself to that state of crying and recalling the memories what he said what he did um to the point of tears <laughs> and once yes. the tears come out that's when i know i'm ready to write and honestly the words <laughs> just flow from there that was mm-hmm. and that period lasted from like 2016 to about 2021 actually mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. just an agonizing process like i i have to have this playlist of songs I have to, like, if, I, if I'm if i not in a state of despair, <laughs> I just <laughs> couldn't write. I really, and I, I missed the time I was kind of quite depressed back then as well. Um, And I have to hit certain levels of emotions to get these poems out. Like, I just can't, I couldn't birth it otherwise. It's only since sort of about mid-2021, I can kind of sit down and objectively, oh, recall this memory, uh, channel um, this emotion and write it down and not get into such a state, but yeah, prior to that, it was agony. And sometimes there would be full-length poems. When it got to about 2017, they were more just like individual little stanzas. Mm-hmm. So when it came to the writing of Bohemian Love, my second poetry book, I would have to essentially like, um it was like um, a patchwork quilt. So I'd have these individual stanzas and I would have to sew and thread them through to make mm-hmm. them into a full poem. Yeah. So it was like a, so first book, it was more like, Oh yeah, I, I get it. Start the beginning, middle and end. Second book, mm-hmm. it was just like so many agonizing <laughs> memories and romantic ones as well. I've had lots of magical breathtaking moments um, in my life that I really wanted to capture into a book and just mm-hmm. memories for myself to relive, you know, when I'm older and just remember these wonderful things that have happened. And, but yeah, it was a little, I wasn't in a great state of mind. So it was a little bit more of a fragmented process um, yes. yeah, but, but, so between 2016 to 2021, I was mostly writing. Kind of at the end of 2020, I started typing and mm-hmm. I, I, I sort of prefer handwriting. It was more that. Because I would like the publication was so imminent, I just had to have things ready for a word document, you know. But um, yes. and it's just yeah, because otherwise it's like, double the or triple double triple the work really, because obviously you've got the handwriting, and I've got to figure out what did I actually write. <laughs> I'm looking over my handwriting like what was that word again? Um, so yeah, so now it's more um, I use a notes app, I type on the go, I could be sat in a coffee shop or walking home. Um, so my yeah my writing process is a bit more sporadic sometimes it's not as focused and sat down yeah it changes all the time like my flow of yeah (laughs) writing bones
0: (laughs) you know before we focus on Bohemian Love I would like to know the following you mentioned John Mayer Uh the question is all great writers have great writing influences who are some of your others and what makes them great in your eyes
1: Okay, so the majority of my writing career was definitely John Mayer, was number one. Yes. Since about 2020, um, late 2020, and this took me by surprise, um, it was actually another songwriter, and last oh, year right. she was like inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, and it's actually Mariah Carey.
2: Mariah and
1: Carey? Honest oh, wow. to God, it, it took... <laughs> I'm not joking... It took my poetry to the next level because I was listening to her songs. Because the thing is, I, I was a little bit younger, so I didn't really grow up with her. But yes. um, I was listening to this song called "I Still Believe," um, originally I sung believe. by. Right. Yes.
0: I know that song. Someday you and me,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Yes. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. Let me calm down. All right. Go ahead. <laughs>
1: You no, know, it's I a like powerful you. song. It unleashed mm-hmm. so many emotions in me, and I actually didn't even realize I had these dormant feelings of love for someone still, and, oh, that was a bit of a hot mess, but um, <laughs> um, no, it really was. It almost ruined my life. But anyway, <laughs> um, I got a lot of emotions out of it, and it, it, it instigated. It was a catalyst for so much um, change in my writing in terms of I was finally able to be honest emotionally it was like her songs and the depths of her emotions and her obviously her incredible beautiful singing voice uh, gave me permission to talk about love the way I wanted to and to express my feelings at the deep level that was inside me that I was too scared to unleash before you know Mm, so yeah
0: wow have you ever heard her song visions of love her first one
1: Oh, from back of the day. That came out, yeah. I mean, I mean, like, 30 years later, I heard it. Yeah. No. Um, was I even alive when that was released? Um, no, for sure. Oh, my gosh. I mean, yeah, I still believe. Vision of Love. I, I still believe. I don't want to cry. So me. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Let's um, yeah, talk a treasure. No, it's <laughs> a treasure trove of albums. It is, it is. I, I'm going through it all. No, no honestly, good. because she, she's just so beautiful and glamorous. Like, people don't realize what an incredible songwriter she is. And she does have a poet's heart. Honestly, that's why I love her. And I would feel that's another running theme of Who Inspires Me. Another lady, another – she's actually a singer. But I do believe she has a singer's, uh, poet's heart. And that's Diana Vickers. She's an English um, singer and actress. And she might not be as well-known in America, but I I, I was listening to a lot of her as well. Her album, Tainted Cherry Tree or something, the album's called. Yeah.
0: All right. (laughs) So in terms of Bohemian love, tell me all about it. What inspired you? What inspired you to write that collection?
1: Um... Oh gosh, (laughs) it's probably my most expressive collection of poems and I'm completely pausing and freezing right now. Um, It was, yeah, it was a lot of pent-up emotions. It was a lot of, um, a lot of things that happened. A lot of things were left unsaid. Um, So yeah, I really was just trying to process it all. And obviously I fictionalized a lot of it. But, yeah, it, it, it was about time. It had to come out. And um, and also, one of my favorite books, it's my second favorite book, because my first favorite book is the Bible. and um, so My yes. second favorite book is um, Bohemian Manifesto by Laren Sover. Um, you know, and I always had these dreams of bohemia and falling in love with an artist and, you know, going to Paris and painting and doing all these wonderful things. So, and, and unfortunately, that never got to be fully fulfilled. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of longing, a lot of wish fulfillment is printed into the book. And, yeah, right. that's how it came about. Yeah.
2: Please,
0: please share a poem.
1: Okay. You know what? I will begin with the very first poem in Bohemian Love. And it's called In the Louvre. Okay. In the Louvre. You are gazing at my favorite painting. I stand and wait. A girl walks to you, my eyes cast down. Catching myself, I search for a sculpture. When I find it, I am tempted to touch the white marble and embrace by Cupid. Secretly, I wish to be kissed the same way. It has been so long. That evening, at the Eiffel Tower, I see you again. You hold our gaze. Sensing recognition. Recalling the girl by your side. I look away to devour the city lights. The night sky is arrogant with beauty. On the hour, illumination and sparkles shine on all igniting rapture. You walk towards me. I assume you'll go past. You say hello and recount seeing me in the Louvre. I'm taken aback. My breath deepens. I hold onto the railing. She was only his sister. She lives here. I take quiet delight in what he says. He wants to meet for breakfast. I gently decline, saying that I am en route to Givenay. He is persistent. And so... We agree to visit the Musée de Lingerie the day after. Thursday arrives, though I am not sure he will. An hour later, and we are gazing at a painting, the water lilies, green reflections inside the museum. Though we are in Paris, you tell me of your travels, how you saw Caravaggio in Valletta and Guernica in Madrid. He wants to hold hands. Instead, I hold tightly to my handbag. I return to England soon. We are really only three hours away. Deep down, I am testing him because it all seems too good to be true. Weeks later, I am home. Filled with wonder and delight at what is unfolding. The end.
0: Wow, that was beautiful. Oh, thank you. Are you also a voiceover
1: artist? No. Oh, my gosh. No. no, no. Um, Actually, one person mentioned this to me before. I I, I didn't even really uh, realize. No. No. Okay.
0: (laughs) That's something I want you to explore, actually, because I listen to voices all the time. And uh, you need to record an audio version of your book just based on that one piece that I heard. I'm going to ask you some okay. more questions about the your voice and the relationship between your voice, written voice and your speaking voice, but walk me right now through the through the process for creating the cover of the book.
1: Okay, so well, um, well, because the main love story in the book is obviously set in Paris, so I need to find the most scenic, obvious depiction of that city. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess it's just kind of um, setting the scene um, so you can sort of walk into the pages of the book. But at the same time, you know, although um, I do write these romantic, sad love poems, I didn't want Mm -hmm. it to be too obvious in the cover. (laughs) Like I didn't want, you know, the couple in embrace. Um, I just wanted to kind of um, have a little mystery to it. Yeah. So I hope people are intrigued by the cover.
0: Your poetry, from what I've heard so far and from what you've shared, is based on emotion.
1: Absolutely. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, 100%. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can a person be viewed as being a poet if they don't feel strong emotions?
1: Um, I mean, there there is a lot of technical aspects to poetry. So, yeah, you could be a poet um, without having, you know, as much emotion as I do or all these other poets that um, focus on the human condition and how we feel, yeah, because you know, there's an art form to it Um, you know, there's this area of formalism where you have to follow a certain structure and perhaps scheme, etc so yeah yeah, of course you can be I I just, I, I don't feel like uh, an authority to say what poetry is. Because actually, no, my background is, um, I haven't even studied poetry since I was 16. Um, I kind of did things, yeah, I did things in like the reverse order. I mean, poetry was always a hobby. um, And then I was just like, I had written a ton of them. So I was checking out small presses and just trying to find a way in um, to get mm-hmm. published. And then it was actually, ironically, after I got published, then I did some poetry workshops. Um, and then from that, um, I could, well, I made connections so I could perform at literary festivals in England. And, and you know, everything sprang from that. So mm-hmm. yeah, um I'm actually a law school dropout so um <laughs> I I did like <laughs> law and politics for a year at university and then unfortunately extenuating circumstances very difficult times I couldn't complete my degree. Um mm-hmm. but Every so often, I would, uh, you know, write poems just for myself. I never thought anything of it. Actually, when I first dropped out of university, I submitted some poems and then I, you know, got a rejection. I didn't actually chase it up again until right. a bit later. Yeah, a bit later on. Yeah, I, I, I was actually put off by the rejection. I was like, what? Um, oh, yeah. But then. You know, I said, "Well, I was so young as well." Um, but then I kind of, you know, lost everything. Everything was stolen from me, and then all I had were literally my bones left. So I was like, "Okay, I'm going to have to make use of this." And um, and then I really pursued it, full hearted. Well, it's full heartedly as I could. Um, but yeah, so it's quite an unconventional um backstory, <laughs> but um, oh, I, I guess it's a natural talent. But yeah.
0: Yes. So would you view, then, this is a question I would ask later in the show, would you view your ability to write poetry as a creative gift or creative art?
1: Um, so, so what do you mean by creative art?
0: Well, that's through, based on training, learning about it, oh. you took workshops, and those kinds of the things.
1: Craft, right, crafting it. Okay, yes. um, I guess... Yeah, I guess it's just a nat- through time, it's become a natural talent. It's kind of a mix between a lot of life experience and emotions okay. that are within me, and of course my imagination that I naturally have, and then mixing it with some kind of talent I've been blessed with. And But then I was always sort of, you know, because obviously if you get into law school, you can write, and mm-hmm, you have a love mm-hmm. for words, and I'm an avid reader. Um, yes. So that combination was a cocktail for my poetry and the basis for it. So yeah.
0: So a question before you share another piece. How does a poem, Catherine, know where to go? Do you lead or does the poem lead you?
1: Um, I'm a highly visual person and writer, so I pretty much know where I'm going. It's a very cinematic experience for me. I'm literally um, situating my reader into the moment, into the scene, um you know it's it's quite obvious you know the title is in the louvre and Mm -hmm. that person is gazing at my favorite painting so the reader's going to think of a beautiful painting in the louvre and you know you you know it's a girl and a guy they're observing each other and yeah so um so another source of inspiration for my writing are actually um kind of roundabout way are music videos i kind of grew up in that um age of music videos and mm-hmm. um, I just love the beauty of the art form. It's just incredible storytelling, so concise, much like poetry. Um, so, yeah, everything, I guess, in some ways, each poem is like a mini music video. Like, I literally know what the character. well, I, they're not even characters are they? but the people in my poems, I know what they're wearing. Um, I know what they, you know, um, sorry, I, there's such a backstory to every scene <laughs> and line that I write. I just know mm-hmm. if that person's going to say it that it's not the guy that's gonna say it, it's the girl that's gonna say that. He's gonna walk in, then she's gonna be caught by surprise and you know, it's I'm like a kinda of like a film director, like it's still going oh, on nice. in my brain. Like it's like it. right, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, share another poem please.
1: Okay. Um a poem called Hotel and this poem it's actually a few days before the girl meets the guy in the art museum. Um, and it's also a recollection of her time in Paris before when she was single and always looking for love. And yeah. Okay, hotel. My Louis Vuitton luggage is rugged as I excitedly get out my precious dresses and jewellery. I have been saving my best dresses for this trip. These garments have waited years to be worn and are faintly whispering gratitude as they are delighted to be in the city of light. Holding them upon my body, I listen as they tell me which museums they want to visit. My Paris Street style is almost ethereal. Pale pink and paler greens echo through my ensemble. I find myself popping back to the hotel morning, afternoon and evening so I can wear a new dress for each new place. Not that I brought many clothes with me, I simply bought more. The hotel lobby stands warmly welcoming guests and bidding farewell in mere minutes. Inside Galeries Lafayette, I catch my reflection and see my cheeks cerise, lipstick fading from all the treats of Angelina Paris, hair teased wildly from hurriedly walking to and from cafes, museums, the metro and back again. After walking through the Jardin des Tuileries, I take delight in my French souls keeping their elegance after all these hours. Alone at night, I slip into a silk robe the colour of morning champagne. I look in the mirror one last time, knowing that tomorrow I have to return back home to the chaos of my life. This whirlwind of charm is coming to an end but i know i can always come back and maybe next time with a man i love for paris is a place where dreams come true and life becomes magical and ethereal the end
0: all right thank you now during the selection process catherine how do you decide which poems to choose
1: um, I wanted it to sort of follow a bit of a story arc. You know, I really like structure. Um, I'm quite mm-hmm. methodical. So, yeah, and I love giving the backstory to things. You know, like um, these characters in the poem feel like real people to me. You know, i birth birthed them into existence. They're my creation. I know them inside out. So, and I love to give people a little glimpse into what the person's thinking as well as what's in their heart, secret wishes and longings and what they get up to, all these beautiful little details, where they go, where they dine and yeah really, the reader is like almost like a companion or a shadow next to the character that's experienced all these things in Paris, yeah.
0: Alright so what then was your strategy for organizing the poems in the book, primarily sections, chapters, how did you go about it?
1: Okay So it opens with um, the first scene of the main love story between this girl who's actually nameless and this guy called Jean-Pierre in the Louvre. Then we take it back a bit. The next session is called Days Before I Met You. And it's about, you know, this girl, she's reflecting on, um, you know, being single. She's not too happy about it. She's longing for love. And then the courtship begins in in the third section called Dream Within a Dream. And then in the fourth section, there is drama because it's called Everything Was Going Perfectly Until My Ex Arrived. And then it dips in and out. It's the next section is about poet's life, the agony being a poet, the beauty of being a poet. Then it's back to you um, because there's a bit of back and forth tension between this couple. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's th- a lot. Um, and then it's uh, because obviously it's called Bohemian Love, so I've got a section called Bohemia Lives. Um, A poem called Bohemian Royalty, which is based on Talitha Getty, this actually Mm -hmm. beautiful lady. You know, she married into the Getty family. Um, She went to Marrakesh and that's where you get all these boho fashion and style. It all sort of began with her. She really lived that jet set life and was like hanging out with Mick Jagger and a beautiful, inspiring lady of Bohemia. Um, Then I'm sort of using a bit more in this section called The Loves Before You, it's kind of reminiscing on my own love life, passions, that's pretty self-explanatory. Then we've got The Sadness We All Hide, um, Heartbreak, um, Dealing With Feelings of Being Unlovable. Um, There's a full spectrum of... Uh, being in love is a full spectrum of love so it's not all just the romance and heartbreak there's some quite dark poems like volition in particular is a dark poem it's um it's kind of actually about assault um it's something Mm -hmm. that happens quite a lot you know in college campuses and girls don't like to admit you know or they're scared of repercussions but that that, volition's a dark poem that's a difficult poem volition Mm -hmm. um then it's love destroys um one poem sums up, Maybe love isn't what we think it is. So it's just how, you know, we can get trapped in these toxic dynamics but it's like, Oh, we love each other but then they don't treat you well and you you get really confused. Love can be a very confusing process. Yes, but, you it know, can I address be. that.
0: Yeah. yeah, I address so, that. <laughs> so I mean, how long is your book? It's almost as if you put everything. everything.
2: <laughs>
0: I know you didn't, but did you have difficulty stopping in terms of of the writing process? I mean, you've covered a lot of territory by just mentioning those things. Talk to me.
2: Oh, it goes on and on. I mean, this book is doesn't even finish. <laughs> oh, okay, that's nice. There's a companion book. That's why there's gonna be lovers in Paris (laughs) because there's so many love lessons to share. There's so much heartbreak to follow. It doesn't (laughs) end. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs)
0: Well, it sounds fascinating. (laughs) It sounds like a person would be in for a bumpy ride reading the book. You cover so much terrain.
2: I do.
0: Yeah, yeah. But
1: it it reflects real life. I mean, some are fantastical, fanciful moments, but it does also just de- depict real life. You know, you have to have that honesty in your writing. You know, you can't just yeah, write a fantasy. Awesome. So yeah.
0: <laughs> very nice. Very nice. What I'd like you to do for me before we take a quick break, I'd like you to share with me the titles of five poems in
1: the book. Any five. Any five poems. Um. My Valentine, I'll be reading that later on today. Um, I Will Remember You, that's a very poignant poem. Um, definitely check out Maybe Love Isn't What We Think It Is. That's probably mm-hmm. going to be very relatable. Um, Powder Room, I'm quite proud of that because it's about trying to find the strength in your individuality after a breakup. Yes. Um. Uh, gosh, let me think um emerald eyes gypsy heart that's quite a light-hearted one that's more about self-love okay and what yeah once upon a wonderland which i'll read later yeah
0: all right the reason i ask that question is what role should the title play in the poem what do you consider when you're titling a poem
1: um for me i feel like i have captured the essence of the poem um through the title. It's but it's a beautiful hint, um, it's a teaser of what's to come essentially. And a little bit of a warning as well, you know, like with the poem called Volition, you know, it's not a it's not okay. easy reading. But yeah.
0: So does exactly. the title come first or the poem itself?
1: Most of the time when I'm writing I'm either like beginning with an opening line or just the whole stanza hits me, but it could be in the middle of the poem or it's just a few lines. Um yeah, um, or, or sometimes, like, I think it's a line of a poem, but then I'm like, oh, no, that's a, that, that that would make a great title. Um, mm-hmm. But, no, the title is for sure very influencing, but sometimes I have to finish the whole poem in order to know what the title will be. Um, but, no, I think the title plays a very significant role, especially trying to determine what it will be. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. We're going to take a brief break, but I want you to answer a question I'm going to pose it to you now. And after the break, I'd like you to answer it. Does it hurt you? Does it hurt you to write poetry? If not, why not? Think about that one. Okay. Okay. All right, we are officially back. <laughs> I am here. My name is Michael Anthony Ingro. I am here with Catherine Vaughn. What do you think, Catherine? Does it hurt to write poetry? Why or why not?
1: It absolutely does hurt me to write my poems. Um, yeah, it's extremely intense. Um, I mean, Previously, as I was writing poems in my notebook before, tears would actually fall and uh, tears would hit the ink of what I had written. That's where I got this line in one of my early poems about um, te- my tears are embedded in the notebook or something. Um, okay. So it's like from real experience. Um, yeah, it's quite a devastating process, but actually, sometimes I find it a bit of a emotional exorcism. It's this expulsion, and as I was saying before, like an alchemy, so I can harness my experiences, share it with people, and I can turn it into a power of good instead of something that's going to eat me up inside and kind of because it, you know, certain traumas I think mean can destroy you internally. Okay you know yes. um so yeah it's you know it's 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 I get yeah, it's it's hard to talk about. Um, it's almost like sometimes I don't know why I do it because it causes me so much internal pain and then I have to read mm. back through it, especially in the mm-hmm. editing process and then people pick it apart and I have to rewrite it. And mm-hmm. then obviously when I perform it, that's agonizing. I mean, what actually happened last year, I did a poetry reading for a local art centre and this is the first time it's happened because it was the first time I was reading poems from Bohemian Love. I was mm-hmm. really confronting certain things from the past and first time ever I had these psychosomatic um, symptoms where my lower back caused me so much agonizing pain I could hardly get out of bed and it felt like it was on fire and that's not typical of the back pain I normally get you know I've All never right. had such intense stress-induced um, back pain and literally mm-hmm. until about two or three hours before the event I was like in bed I was in agony I was like I don't know how I'm going to get to this event but I kind mm-hmm. of pulled through and yeah, because my body was just, like, dreading it. Um, but I'm trying to see it now as, like, okay, I've expelled these emotions, these memories and things. I've turned it into art. It's And now it's shrunken down into, like, a size 12 font and a book. You know, All and right. I can hold, yeah, and I can hold these memories in the palm of my hand. And I am now bigger, as it were, than the pain that hurts me am i making sense like it's sorry it's so hard to talk about um yeah and it's all about growth and metamorphosis
0: yes and that's exactly what i'm hearing in your voice i mean you seem to be a very self-aware individual
1: well yes but also highly sensitive and and
2: okay
1: I, i would yeah i mean i would only do one event a year i've been in poetry land since 2015 I only do one event a year because I'm so uh, the uh, um, emotional consequences of what I do. All these feelings pent up inside of me really are a hindrance to me being the poet I need to be and be out there performing. Um, so yeah, i you know it, it's coming with time, the self-awareness, yes. and I've only mm-hmm. just I'm only just overcoming the anxiety. It's extremely okay. triggering.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
1: is it, so so now like seven years later, it's like, oh now i 'm starting to be able to handle being a poet or well, a thing more yeah, well, now, you
0: know things happen when they're supposed to happen, yeah. and so now you're at that place where you want to do more in terms of getting yeah. out there, because again, as I listen to you, i don 't hear any reticence or hesitancy in your voice from the very beginning, even prior to. Starting the show, in terms of our sound check-in. I mean, you seem very hublant, uh or hublant, What how you pronounce that word, and yeah. it's really that you're out there.
1: Well, yeah, now, I mean, if we had this interview this time last year, I would have been too reluctant to do it, or very shy, okay. and a lot more okay. reserved, but I've been going right. through a conscious metamorphosis, so yeah.
0: Okay, oh, very nice. Please share another piece.
1: Okay, so let's try champagne breakfast at the Savoy. Okay. Champagne breakfast at the Savoy. Breakfast banquet at 2 a.m. from room service earlier. Ordering what we please. Decadence dancing in front of mirrors. Recreating moves from the party. Sunrise across the Thames. Last sip of champagne. Finally falling asleep. Lunchtime comes. Shopping in Covent Garden. Larder macarons, rose petal, orange blossom, pistachio. Sitting pretty. Hop to Harrods. Hands reach for Van Cleef and Arpels. You try on watches as I trace my fingertips across necklaces only you can afford. Harvey Nicks. I pose in dresses made for garden parties. You kissing me endlessly in the dressing room. Outside, Aveline Green silk dress. For me, another gift from you. As we walk to Hyde Park, picnic with food hall finds. Pashmina scarf sits on the grass. Portrait mode, iPhone. He leans in, holding me in the park. Tagging me online. He reaches for my French pastry. I playfully steal it back. He conquers, as usual. Sunday tomorrow, another magical day with you before you set off again, the end.
0: Wow. I think I'd like you to read that one again.
1: Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, sure. So, um, Champagne Breakfast at the Savoy. A breakfast banquet at 2 a.m. From room service earlier, ordering what we please. Decadence dancing in front of mirrors, recreating moves from the party. Sunrise, across the Thames. Last sip of champagne, finally falling asleep. Lunchtime comes. Shopping in Covent Garden, Lagerie macarons, rose petal, orange blossom, pistachio, sitting pretty. Hop to Harrods. Hands reach for Van Cleef and our pals. You try on watches as I trace my fingertips across necklaces only you can afford. Harvey Nicks. I pose in dresses made for garden parties. You kissing me endlessly in the dressing room. Outside, Aveline Green. Silk dress for me. Another gift from you as we walk to Hyde Park. Picnic with food hall finds. Pashmina scarf sits in the grass. Portrait mode iPhone. He leans in, holding me in the park, tagging me online. He reaches for my front pastry. I playfully steal it back. He conquers as usual. Sunday tomorrow, another magical day with you, before you set off again without me. The end. Yeah, you did ask me to read it again, didn't you? Or did I miss yes, it? that say next poem? Okay. <laughs> no, because in the middle no. of it,
2: I thought, wait, did he say read the next poem or read it again? I can't remember. But anyway, sorry. Thank you.
0: Okay. Read it again. Read it again. Because I really wanted to take it in. <laughs> I
2: really wanted to take it
0: in. I really, really did. So what do you think is one thing that makes your poetry unique and different from others?
1: Um, There's a fanciful, fun, playful element to it. I really think I can draw the reader in um, and either make them feel like they're there or want to go to that place. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I hope my poems are interesting. I hope people enjoy them. I hope it resonates with their life experience or perhaps um there's just something very appealing. Like maybe they haven't experienced it but they like to. And I want people to take away from my parents this feeling of, you know, enjoyment of life, um, and a, a sense of curiosity and wonder about the world again and just appreciating the little things, you know, like the little details. Like when I talk about the little macarons that they're eating, um, that are sort of rose petal flavoured, uh pistachio flavoured, pretty and pink and orange and You know, and imagining Covent Garden, like even if you haven't been there, um, even just the words itself, Covent Garden sounds so pretty, um. So yeah, I hope my reader can enjoy that and immerse themselves. Yeah.
0: Please share another. I enjoy listening to you read. Please share
1: another. Okay, okay. So this one is called Mr. E Corval. Um, the tone is going to be a little bit more different. Okay. Okay. Mr. E Corval. Upon my happiness. He enters uninvited again. Shadow of perpetual doubt and tribulation, cold, calculating, playing a game only he understands. Rules one day, wild, abandon the next. He will not let go because he cannot let go. Regret seeps in and fills his hollow heart with memories of me after all the narcissistic girls calling him five times a day, taking endless photos, whining, clawing their way into commitment, he realizes he cannot do better, and I could not care less. The end.
2: (laughs) What
0: is the purpose of that piece, Catherine?
1: So it's a follow-up, because um, this girl, the nameless girl, her ex arrives, and, you know, as Mm -hmm. soon as she's so happy, shopping in Covent Garden, she's got a new boyfriend, the ex comes, and, you know, he's just a pain, a pest, And it's called Mr. E. Corival because Mr. E. sounds like mystery. And Corival kind of means like arrival. It's like a mystery (laughs) arrival. But it's like every girl knows this. Like your ex always has this radar. Like when you're happy or, (laughs) you know, even just happy within yourself, like you can still be single. Or when Mm -hmm. you found someone else, they just show up. Like in some way. Sometimes Sometimes it's deliberate. And they'll message you or they'll say something or they engineer some kind of meetup and you're like, oh, for goodness <laughs> sake, give me a loan. <laughs> so, yeah.
2: <laughs> so <funny. laughs>
1: Has a poem you've
0: written ever humbled or frightened you?
1: Um, frightened? Humbled? Um. Uh, so, sorry, what do you mean by humbled me?
0: Well... Made you really reflect on it, really say, wow, this is, this is maybe too much. Should I say it? Uh, it's just too powerful for me to even, even contemplate or think about.
1: Oh yeah, all the time. Um, yeah, it does happen. I mean, if you think what I'm writing right now is too much, like I'm writing other stuff that's a lot more intense. I mean, this is like a shadow. <laughs> I'm more revealing in future publications. Yeah, no, I'm making the most of these extreme feelings. Um, you know, and and and. Uh, and I will like eventually, like not right now, I don't even know if it's gonna be published, but I am writing some darker poems and it's gonna help me overcome the shame of certain things and I, I think I can write in a way that's subtle but quite mm-hmm. um direct to what I'm pertaining to. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I guess that's why in some ways I you know, I only did like one event a year because I was so terrified of uttering these words that I had written. But right. Yeah, I just realized. Well, to sum up, I just had to mine up basically. <laughs> I could just get that's over funny. it. And <laughs> well, yeah. You know,
0: and usually that's one of my questions, and I'll
2: just throw
1: it out there.
0: The question is tell me about a poem that you were proud of writing, but afraid to share for fear of misinterpretation.
1: Um, misinterpretation? Oh, gosh. Um, I guess I was a little bit, let me think, there's probably, there's probably so much, but I've kind of that kind of potential embarrassment or okay. dread. Okay, um, okay, no, that No, there's probably, I mean, like the notebook on the mantelpiece, that's based on like an actual winter breakup that I did go through.
2: Okay. Um But
1: obviously it's a completely different setting, like it's set in a cottage, it didn't really happen in a cottage, you know. Okay. Um Powder room deals with certain insecurities you feel um but yeah i mean obviously i try and preserve my own (laughs) pride Mm -hmm. in some of the poems i don't i don't expose everything you know (laughs) still some mystery (laughs) well have you ever have you ever thought about writing under a pseudonym no no i definitely want to put my name out there now it's fine
2: (laughs) Right, you know i mean
1: like like before well no I am quite shy, but I'm also brazen, and you have to have that boldness, because at the end of the day, I'm not a Nepo baby, nothing's handed to me, I have to work for it, I have to be bold and, you know, go after it, so, yeah.
2: Okay. I'm not going to need a
1: pseudonym.
0: They say that to see the world with complete honesty, one should look to comedians, musicians, artists, and poets. What do you think emerges naturally from your work? What emerges from you, Catherine? What yeah, there is, sorry, yeah
1: there is honesty in it. Um, it's more like the honesty um, we dread to admit. Um, okay. So that sort of emanates from my poems. Um, yeah, lots of things and insecurities, certain fears, um, and a recurring theme is obviously feeling unlovable and um mm-hmm the loneliness and the rejection that comes out quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I can, through poetry becomes like a superpower because it's like lots of other people are feeling the same way. And then you can have, you know, build community or make a new friend potentially, or um, build your, I mean, I'm still trying to build my tribe, but yeah, <laughs> connect <laughs> with people. it becomes a source of connection. All right.
0: You know, some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature, once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it. While others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on the editing process?
1: It varies, and um, sometimes I've been blessed and quite lucky where pretty much like start to finish, um, that it's a ready-made poem. Like I've I've, I've done it, um, and it's like minimal editing. You just need like a you know pre second pair of eyes and things. Um, And other times, you know, it's more to do the writing process, was just a bit difficult, where I just had, like, this really one compelling stanza, but I didn't know how to elaborate or extend it, didn't know how this story could grow. Um, But, yeah, all my poems are, like, my little babies, and the characters are in them, and my children. Um, Yeah, so, and like I was saying earlier, it's kind of like this um, patchwork quilt um I take a line from something I wrote three years ago. I wrote another stanza two years later. else happened in my real life. And I sew it all together. This patchwork of quilt um, eclectic fabric it comes together and makes a beautiful something or other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah
0: I was going to share that you know life is not always easy. On a number of different levels. Mm -hmm. It's just not. I mean, I'm not really sure where this is designed to be, to be quite honest. Mm. Because you made the statement earlier about when in a relationship you could be having a sunny day and someone, and I'm paraphrasing now, someone could show up and ruin it. Uh, Sometimes (laughs) you can feel as if you're having a sunny day or feeling really good and then step outside your door into the proverbial world and things just seem to fall apart. You know, we live with the good, the bad, the ugly, and the indifferent of life. So what I want to know from you, Catherine, is what do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society?
1: Yeah, the poet's role in modern-day society is to have the boldness and expressive talent to depict and uh, declare um, things we may not be comfortable with talking about sometimes, you know, um, although right now in this phase of my writing I'm talking about mostly love and insecurities Mm -hmm. and internal feelings and so forth, like, I am kind of dwelling on some other experiences like, you know, I won't go into it too much but like, you know, racism, discrimination isolation, which I face a lot of so, I, you know, and those are. I think sometimes the best way to deal with very tough personal issues or huge or large systemic issues, you know, can be through art because it's an indirect way. Um, and you're telling the story. You're you're giving people the background on it. You're 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 explaining what's involved and how these situations arise and how it makes the person feel and the consequences and the ramifications of such things. So yeah, that's the poet's role, especially. I mean, obviously, in our current political climate, so much is going on, so yeah, I think poets can have an important role in clarifying, explaining, and helping people who live different lives see from different perspectives so that we don't get too tied down to a particular tribe and you know, because we're all connected, but and obviously, we can't experience everything, but no. through art, we can see and feel and try and understand other people's ways of living and the struggle that they are going through. And you know what? No amount of self-help can help sometimes because, Mm -hmm. you know, there are huge systemic societal issues that are blocking, putting down, you know, Mm -hmm. or harming other people. And it's just not as simple as like, oh, get your life together or try this tool, you know? So, mm-hmm. and, and that's where poetry and these comedians and artists can come in because they can um, uh, share their narrative, share their real experiences or just, you know, weave it into fiction or something and it, it, people can accept it more, you know, the, 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 versus then like a documentary where you're kind of told and you're informed and people question everything, whereas if it's, you know, a personal experience, you know, people are a bit more open, possibly, and accepting, and and it's valid because it's their experience, you know, hopefully. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes people don't even do that, so, but, yeah, hopefully.
0: Well, I mean, very, very nicely stated. You should be a politician to help change the world.
1: <laughs> oh gosh, um, oh, I don't know Maybe how I feel about, about the <laughs> political arena <laughs> Yeah, I don't I know mean, how I, I feel, I feel mean, about I that. I
2: shouldn't have said it. I shouldn't. No, no, no. Oh
1: no, it's nothing <laughs> at all. What I'm saying is, sometimes the best change happens in a roundabout way, so through art, um, but also, you know, like um, for example, sometimes in the. You know, if there are a breakthrough, this is completely off tantric, but if there's that's breakthroughs right. in the healthcare system, sometimes it's because some entrepreneurs come in and they've got a completely new way of seeing things. So that's how they galvanize and become this catalyst for change. Do so you get what I'm thinking? Because mm-hmm. you have to hit it at a different angle mm-hmm. in life. And sometimes that's why I'm somewhat doing well as a poet and um, reaching... Um, great creative heights for myself because you know I haven't had the traditional training and background of other poets yes. and I have a you know somewhat unique perspective and I can cast a different light sometimes and I, I'm now trying to accept that I do have a place in poetry land and you know because before mm. I had a lot of imposter syndrome because I was yes, like well I don't have do. a qualification in this yes,
0: I know the feeling I'm with you with yeah yes I do <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. You're my
0: sister from another mother.
1: Yes. <laughs> Wait, yes. Exactly. We're pair of siblings. Yeah. Yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm collecting them. So. Yeah. Um, and the way wanna, I should <laughs> another piece. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I should say piece. how I yeah. deal. Yeah. No, I should say sorry to finish. How I deal with um. Imposter syndrome is like this lady called Alyssa Nubriga, she's like a life coach and trained therapist, and she just says, you know, there's this imbalance between um how you see yourself and what your reality is and what you've actually achieved, and there's this gap, and you just need to rise up to your reality, but you can't because of limiting beliefs and da-da-da. Anyway, that's it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I've suffered from the imposter syndrome
0: in so many different areas of my life, so I do understand. So, I mean, okay. it's not a, a, a foreign a foreign concept to me. Not at okay. all. Please share another poem.
1: <laughs> okay. I was just wondering, how much time do I have? Because I've still got several poems to go. Should I oh, just have a few more? No, no. no. We, we're we going to finish. We've got
0: time. So just, just share two this time. Share two. Back to back. Share
1: How's two. Okay, great. I will skip ahead to a poem called My Valentine. Okay, so... My Valentine. Red roses sit upon Valentina's night table. If they are wilted, it means she and Philippe have broken up. When they are in bloom, they are back together in their lover's velvet haze. Inside her wardrobe lay a collection of silk dresses, one coloured as dark as wine on winter nights. Some are creamier tones and others are swathes of fiery passionate shades that sit and lie and fall apart in her wardrobe. Her bedroom, a boudoir of passions. There are chocolate boxes, candles, silk bedsheets, and diaries on shelves that have her tears imprinted in the ink. Theirs is a love to inspire countless songs, a lyrical love. Much of Valentina's recent diary entries are about Philippe. They have broken up and made up countless times. Theirs is a love that is addictive, intense. Few can maintain such levels of passion and despair. Philippe has been with many women, but he always comes running back to Valentina. They are fiery, stubborn souls. Their words to each other pierce their hearts, but their love is too sensual and tender to sacrifice. He knows there is no other woman like her and nobody pleases him like she does, but he has cheated, confessing he loves women too much. The only way to finish their relationship for good is if she cheats, but she can't because she loves him too much and no man can ever give her that exhilarating rush that he inflicts so artfully on her mind and body. And so they are entwined in their love, hate, passion. It's been that way for years. A flame that never dies. Okay, I'm going to follow up with another poem called Last Summer. Last Summer. They say when you meet the love of your life, everything changes you never see life the same way ever again. On that summer's night, their attraction was immediate. He played guitar. She wore a cream sundress, flowers in her hair to hide devilish horns. She teased him wildly, and he chased her and chased her. It was too late when he realized her heart read danger do not enter how could anyone leave such a fragile creature when sundays are filled with charm and the scent of pancakes in the kitchen as she serves it to you with ice cream and a smile that says she has an appetite for other things when she laughs and cries in the space of an hour he didn't but she did And so, alone in his thoughts, he realized, my pen is my paintbrush, my notebook, the canvas. I will draw you and paint you for the rest of my days. The end.
0: Wow. You know, Catherine, I initially reached out to you on Facebook. So I'm wondering, do the Internet and social media contribute to the well-being of poetry? Do you
1: believe? I I do. I think it gives it revival. Um, there's a great kind of this anticipation of you never know what poet you're going to meet next or should they find next there's always new talent to discover um I love you know people are so open and candid sometimes online and they share a poem that's really touched them and I can look up that poet's name and um some poets I'm reading right now who I found online is like Imani Davis and Joan Naster and um yeah so it's just it's another fantastic avenue to find poets read poets and it's not just um poets reading poets it's you know it could be anybody because, you know, poems are so delightfully succinct and quick and satisfying to read. So you can be on the go and enjoy a poem. Um, you could, you know, hardly ever read poetry and just pick up a, a, a poem online. You know, you see it on a Facebook post or Instagram. And you quickly swipe and read and it's just so enjoyable. Yeah.
0: Do you think you were meant to be a poet?
1: Yeah, I do think so. Um, I mean, it's like I can't escape it, you know, because even when it causes me so much inner turmoil, I keep pursuing it. It's a compulsion. I don't know why. But at the same time, you know, I have all these poems in me and they keep coming out. So I have no choice but to be a poet because it's just inside me and it's, yeah, it's (laughs) inside me. I have no (laughs) say in the matter. I really right. don't
0: okay, okay, what surprises you most about being a poet?
1: Um a lot of things, um, as you were saying about like you know the online world, there's so many great talent to read and discover, and you know I feel really blessed to be able to share my poems online. I'm so grateful for the social media. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, you can make so many far-reaching connections. Like, you're over in Washington, D.C. I'm here in England. We're having this conversation. It's amazing. I'm having a great time. And obviously, it wouldn't happen without, you know, me being a poet and the power of social media. And, yeah, it's also, you know, on a personal level, it's about growth and getting out of my comfort zone. I've been able to face certain issues of the past, which I'm getting over. And I'm so thankful for the American people because... I'm going to start crying, but they truly do validate my existence. Like, um, you know, I've had, um, so many lonely times and, um, you know, sort of like, you know, like a few years ago before I was into this writing stuff and I would, you know, have a personal Facebook page and nobody would ever like my post, you know, people from high school, they never liked my post, rarely if ever said happy birthday and things like that. And I just felt so lonely and isolated and, um, -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm. so I'm just, so in fact, I kept persisting with my art, and a lot of it was just driven, like you know, I need to find my tribe, I need to find people to connect with, and and I was, I then changed my focus from having a personal Facebook to a kind of arty one, um, okay. you know, to share my art, and and now you know, it's taken a long time to build up momentum, but I'm here with you, and I'm gonna mm. do my book signing next month, and yeah. it's just more opportunities to connect with people, and yeah, so yeah.
0: All right, you know we've reached the favorite part of my of this program for me. I view it as being a mini poetry concert. Do you still have four or five poems in your repertoire today that you can share with us back to back, no interruptions for me?
1: I can do yes. Um, let love me that. see now. Okay, yeah. so how many should I try?
0: Okay, how many do you have? Do you have four?
1: Uh, I, and, I certainly would do.
0: Okay, and then we'll do a fifth one as a finale. So, okay, so try four now, and then we'll do the finale.
1: All right. Okay, so um, this is the final poem of Bohemian Love, and it's called Once Upon a Wonderland. Once Upon a Wonderland. I want to show you this place. Come inside. A bookshop, yes, a simple bookshop, where a fairy tale unfolded on an autumn afternoon. No greater romantic encounter could be written in the books on the shelf. A New York Times best-selling author was warming the crowd at his event. There were droves of people, literary folk, journalists, and beautiful people. Some dressed like it was summer, others in autumnal apparel. Our Prince from Europe was handsome, though had no armor on, just a tailored coat. Our princess was beautiful and ready to be swept off her feet. She wore a white sundress, her hair dark and tousled and long like mine. He stands on one side of the room. She walks towards him, yet has not noticed the prince. Sadly, someone comes over and speaks to her, distracts her. She keeps it brief and looks around the room. Our prince... Has been looking at her this whole time, captivated. He prays she looks his way. His wish is granted. Their eyes meet. They are speechless, already in love. Finally, he musters up the courage and walks to her, speaks to her. She smiles. And that is how their love story began, in this bookshop, this humble abode, where the greatest love story not yet written was finally told. And that poem's finished there, and then we follow on with a poem called The Paris Bookshop, and this is a follow-on to Once Upon a Wonderland, and The Paris Bookshop will be featured in Loves in Paris, my companion book. Okay. The Paris Bookshop. Two people look at each other for the first time and their fate is sealed, souls entwined. You proposed within a month. I knew your heart before I learned your surname. We fell in love in a Paris bookshop. My friends want to know which one in hopes of finding a piece of our magic. Sometime after we met, You came to my place and traced your fingers across the books on my shelves, and they were all the books you have longed to read. Even our travels overlapped. When I arrived in Rome, you headed back to London. I knew you existed. Even as a child, I stood in the playground longing for you. Before I knew the word soulmate, I knew a love deeper than marriage awaited me. On that autumn afternoon, in the Paris bookshop, I met you, and as we looked into each other's eyes, fate filled us with magic. We were speechless, already in love. You reflected back all that I dreamed of, and I was everything you desired. When we first kissed, it rained, and it was like heaven cried tears of joy that we were finally together. It was an autumn afternoon when we met and we knew we'd tell our grandchildren about it. It was greater than a love story on the bookshelves behind us. Every year on the day we met, we return to that Paris bookshop. On our next visit, I want to be told love stories from booksellers, not read from pages in a book, but from their encounters of watching people from afar fall in love in the bookshop. I immortalised our love from that day and wrote about us in countless poems and a novel that took too long to finish because life with you is so sublime. And then Mythical Beast is the next poem. And that will also be featured in Love is in Paris. I'm giving you a teaser. Mythical Beast. I want you most in the wanting and the wishing. When we are together, it is not the same. Not as passionate as last time. Even though we are in Paris, you kiss me. And I am as cold as these statues. I get my love and light from the quaint streetlights. At least they charm me with their beauty and stoic presence. Before... When we were intimate, we would embrace much like Canova's sculpture at the Louvre. Now when you kiss me, I feel like we are reenacting Le Centaur Nessus Levant de Genier. You are like a beast holding me, stealing me from my dreams, holding me hostage to your heart. Once desiring you, now needing to escape your embrace. You are brutish in your desires. I pull away, as I cannot handle the weight of your love as you bring me down. I realise how much you have hurt me and I pull away, trying to run away. Love should make your soul soar up into the sky, so you can ascend to higher realms and escape this world. I have been a blind fool. I would rather go back to living alone. I coped in the world so much better without you. Even now, I see. Drops of your love fall into my hands. and I am drowning because all you've ever given me is an ocean of pain. Coincidence reigns. The goddess dictates the scene. And we arrive at Tullier's garden. In front of the statue, Les Saintois, and Le Levant de Genire. We walk to the sculpture. It's the only say decision I can have in this breakup. Everything was dictated by you. I've only broken up with you once. You have broken up with me many times. I touched the stone sarcophagus, planted in 1708, as if it was placed there for my dead body, as if God saw our final end and thought I might collapse and die, as I did each time you broke my heart before I choose life this time. I do not want to die. Why would I? You are impossible. This is the end. I banish you out of my life forever, knowing I have so much to live for this time without you. The end. Um, and then I'm going to share this is an. Ex- Exclusive little share I'm going to do is a poem called <laughs> Cherry Blossoms Say Goodbye because I'm working on another book which is also called Cherry Blossoms Say Goodbye and it's a book of sad poems and heartbreaks so this is a teaser of what's to come By was like cherry blossoms falling from a tree the last time we spoke it was beautiful delicate to the soul you kissed me at the train station and I felt your back up and down caressing like I always do. It was winter, and it snowed just as lightly as last spring when the cherry blossoms fell to the ground. I walked on them, naively thinking they were like confetti on a wedding day, as I always thought that would be our ending. But that day, you walked another road without me, I did not know you were kissing me goodbye. I did not know this would be the last time I would see you. You left no clues on your lips. I noticed nothing. If you knew this would be our last time together, why didn't you try to kiss me deeper, let your touches linger longer, and take in the beauty of my face with one last photograph? but you didn't. I wish I knew it was goodbye so I could have held onto you longer, taken in your scent and capsuled it in my memory. And as you held me one last time, I'd let a tear fall from my cheek onto your shoulder so I could know. This was goodbye. I love you, and I have always loved you. Though I know we are not meant to be together, you had the chance to walk away and start forgetting. Instead, I was violently hit with heartbreak from your words. And the truth is, I never got over you. I wish I had that closure. You never gave it to me. Instead hid behind a text like you did so many times before. You never acknowledged my suffering and what you did to me. Too caught up in how you feel, what you want, your timeline. You, you, you without me, me, me. I'll never know why. We still had memories to make. Especially as we were about to walk Into a new year So I had to start January with a broken heart I suppose You did that so you could break up with me Knowing you had broken up with me and broken my heart in all seasons the first time you broke up with me it was summer and you broke my heart and I went back to you to fix what was broken then in the fall you broke it off and hunted me down at Christmas then spring came I broke up with you and regretted it immediately then ran back to you for the summer and then you broke it off in the fall and then the winter after it all ended I don't want a love for all seasons I want a love for the rest of my life. I've been waiting years for it. I'm still waiting. And then years later, I sit under a cherry blossom tree, writing poetry. For once, not about you. I look up around the park, breathing in the air, seeing the innocence of children playing admiring the beauty of nature around me and then I see you with her and you break my heart all over again. I sigh in anguish then I look up. I breathe in a prayer as I breathe out my love for you ascends into the clouds and finally the cherry blossoms say goodbye the end.
2: Wow.
0: Wow, Catherine. I think I'd like that piece to be the grand finale because that was magnificent.
1: Thank you so much.
0: That was absolutely magnificent. Absolutely magnificent. The way you read, I really want you to think about one, doing a voiceover, and audio for your book, and secondly, exploring voiceover possibilities, and I'll help you. I'll help
2: you. Wow, help okay.
0: You, you, you really, really have a gift. You really, really mm-hmm. do. You
2: really wow, do. Wow, thank you.
0: At, I'm too old to lie, as I tell people. You really <laughs> have a gift. Wow. Now, the last question for you. Does knowing that your poems are published and out there in the world validate your being a poet? Or are you content knowing that they're out of your system? Um,
1: I think I'm satisfied with both, you know. Okay. Um yeah, I can I can do both. I mean, for example, like the poem I've just read to you, um, that that I'm hoping it comes out in a future book. You know, obviously Mm. that picture book might not not even happen But regardless, I can always put it online Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just happy I'm happy and delighted I get a chance to have the ability to write And it gets to be shared in some way You know, if it doesn't manifest in a book I can still Mm -hmm. put it in a blog or on a social media post Um, So I'm just delighted and honoured to be in this arena And be with my fellow artists and poets And yeah, I'm happy either way
2: Wow,
0: where can people find you, Catherine?
1: I have a website, Um, You can catch me on Facebook or Instagram at Catherine Vaughn World. I'm on Twitter at Cat Um Yes, yeah, so "Lovers in Paris" is my next poetry book. I'm currently working on a novel called "Welcome to Wonderland." So. Obviously, head to CatherineVaughn.com to get to read an excerpt and also to get updates. And I've got a mailing list, so yeah, just stay connected with me. I'm always collecting people, always trying to make friends. And yeah, best way to find me is online.
0: Now, in terms of finding Bohemian Love,
1: where can we find that book? Um, I guess yeah, the easiest way is whether in the UK or America is Amazon. Um, yeah, so just Amazon.com, yeah.
0: Okay, now I know "Love is in Paris" as you just said is your next poetry collection. I'd like you to come back when you complete that book because I've got so many other questions for you. So many
1: questions. Wow. Yes, I'm. I'm. speechless, Yes, I'd. I'd. I'd love to. I'd be delighted to. I'm excited to. Yeah. why I'm booked in now. Yes. <laughs> I'll come right, back. Do it, yeah, do it, do it. I want to. I, I know
0: again that you're writing a novel, like we said, like you said, Welcome to Wonderland. Can you give us a little snippet of Welcome to Wonderland as before
1: we go? Yeah, okay. Yeah, let's let's end it with that. So, um I'll read the actual like official blurb that's been released. So, um the novel. It's gonna be book one of a Bohemian love story. It could potentially be a trilogy, so book one isn't the end. Okay, so Welcome to Wonderland. Olivia is about to walk into the most magical year of her life, but it could cost her everything she holds dearly. After meeting Jack, a handsome poet, she is smitten. He is everything she could wish for, but he is hiding something. As their love grows, life pulls them apart. Then a surprising opportunity comes up at work that changes her life forever. Meet Olivia's friends. Serena has everything a girl could wish for, a charmed life Olivia used to have. Valentina is lost in a passionate, though turbulent, romance. Charlotte is single and determined to make it as an artist, and Florence is still waiting for her first kiss. As the girls walk through Wonderland, everything is not as it seems. They soon learn life can be beautiful, yet devastating. And wilder than they could ever imagine. Yep, there's a teaser for you.
0: All right, everyone. (laughs) The novel is coming. Welcome to Wonderland. And by the way, Catherine, the title of my forthcoming poetry collection is When Cherry Blossoms Fall on Black Skin. Cherry Blossoms. (laughs)
2: Wow! <laughs> I love that. Never scared <laughs> never the whole Spirit. So <laughs> wow! <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Divine shining. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. I love hearing that. Amazing! Yeah, wow!
0: I've been working on this book for fourteen years, and it's time to publish
2: it. So. <gasps> oh my
1: gosh! I'm looking out for that. <laughs> yeah. <I> no. <know. laughs> I'm
2: going to check it out. You know. <laughs>
0: All I can say to you is that a literary star is born. That's how I feel. Oh, my gosh.
1: Thank you. Amazing. Um, thank extremely, you so much.
0: Extremely, extremely talented.
1: I love your work.
0: And I wish you nothing but the very best as you continue this journey. Thank
1: you. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Thank you. All right. It's, it's touching me so much. Thank you. Yeah.
0: All right. Okay. Wonderful. All right. Hey, this is a great one.
1: <laughs>
0: this concludes our <laughs> International Poetry Weekend, and I want to thank Catherine Bond for gracing us with her presence and her words, the power of her words. And I want to thank you to the listening audience for joining in. And as I share with you every time we're together, that poetry reads somewhere throughout the land. Take care, Catherine. Thank you. Good night. Good night. All right. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.